0: Hey, what's up? It's Ergo. It is indeed. It is, it is special Ergo. It's not just Ergo. It's not just Ergo. Usually right. it's just Ergo. N- now it's so much more.
1: We are so excited today it's happening. to launch our BYP Spotlight Series here at Ergo. For those who don't know what we do normally, we showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago for the more equitable and creative. But that's old news right now. Yeah, yeah. You should
0: already know that by now. And if not, go get into it. Uh, but if you listen back, maybe about 10, 15 episodes ago from now, we had Kathy Cohen on, the founder of Black Youth Project, uh, which is an online publication uh, of different writers, thinkers, activists, culture makers, driven by young black people, addressing the needs and concerns of young black people. So what we've done with them is partnered to create a
1: spotlight here at Ergo, where we've together curated a list of 12 people who should be In the conversation, in the archive, and people whose work lines up with the intentions and legacies that BYP is creating
0: and upholding. Also, not only are we doing these new episodes, we're creating a spotlight where you can go back and listen to about 30 or so of our episodes from our archive that we feel fit into this spotlight that we are building. So please check out this new, very sexy, I'm going to call it that, Mm. sexy Ergo BYP Spotlight.
1: We are uh, joined... In this first episode, by guest Barbara Ransby, as well as a special guest co-host, Tribble, who was with us for the live show a few weeks ago. We had all these plans with Tribs, who's a you know, a friend and a, a heck of a radio personality. We were gonna do a year of interviews mm-hmm. together as part of this, and then unfortunately Tribble
0: has moved on to a better place. She is in Los Angeles. Yeah, objectively, just a, a better, b- a better place. place. We are super Chicago-centric here on the show, and subjectively, I love Chicago, but just as an environment for the human body to be, the weather, the hills, that's enough. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a good move. Some flowers out there.
1: So I'm happy for Tribs. I'm excited for this, uh, this jump that she's yes. made. We're going to miss having her for the BYP Spotlight and miss having her in Chicago, but at least y'all get one, mm-hmm. one strong BYP Spotlight episode, <laughs> guest co-host Tribs, and the brilliant Professor Barbara Ransby. My favorite. You want to say anything about Barbara?
0: Uh, It's really hard to to articulate or or give language to how important Barbara Ransby is to me and to our world. Um, She is a, a movement leader, mentor. Often like a, a, a maternal figure who uh, truly lives and leads by example um, and connects us to our history and to the world in ways that would not be possible, I think, for, for particularly local iterations of movement and liberation struggle. So I am always in honor and, and respect to, to the one and only Dr. Barbara Ransby, a.k.a. the RZA of all of this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to our BYP spotlight episode. With Barbara Ransby, yeah. we have the one, the only, the brilliant Barbara Ransby in bra, the building. You need to get a, a horn. We we do. we are we are our horn. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. We but we yes we could use a horn. Sure. Let's uh let's start where we start every week, Barbara. In this time, in this moment, in this season, however you define time, how is the world treating you, and how are you treating the world? Wow. That's a big question. Mm-hmm. I don't know
2: how the world, the world's treating me in a lot of different ways. You know, I get up, I read the newspaper, I have my triple espresso. You know, I look out at the lake and, mm-hmm. it, you know, the it, nature seems calm and predictable despite the madness that's going on beneath the surface, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's always something to be furious about coming out of White House um, mm-hmm. and other places. And the, the level of suffering that our people are experiencing here and all over the world just, you know, breaks my heart. But I have always been, um, you know, in struggle and in movement and in motion. And I feel like I'm, you know, in motion with some pretty amazing young people um, hmm. in Chicago and elsewhere. And so that that uplifts me. So in that way, the world is treating me well. But it's an it's
0: a uphill fight. yeah Are you familiar with the phrase gassing up? no <laughs> <laughs> so I did this wasn't just, a quiz I did just want to say it without without knowledge so gassing up basically means like heaping praise on and, mm. and and so we we make it a tradition here at Ergo at Gassing Up and so I'm going to do this very early because you mean so much to me and I'm very grateful to have you here uh, and I just want people to like understand the significance of how you operate in the world uh, and I think you know what you make possible when you say like the young people that you're invigorated by the support And the guidance and the grounding that you provide with your presence, with your spirit, with your work. Um, And for me personally, Barbara, you Mm -hmm. have poured in so much love um, and strengthened me to be able to continue doing stuff that feels so treacherous. Mm -hmm. And I I feel really grounded and rooted um, and responsible because of my relationship to you. So I just want to thank you well, thank for you. being That's, you and all that you do. I
2: would have come sooner if I knew.
0: You know? All <laughs> <laughs> oh, that love was coming my way. That's, That's how we
2: do it's it up here. It's tough to capture That's
0: that true. in like an interview request, though. Very, you know, you kind
1: of got to be in the very room.
2: Very kind of you. So, yeah, well, so the mutual, you know, feelings mutual. Can we mm. get some
3: context around yeah. what your relationship is? Like what mm. brought you to all this love? Because on paper— I could say, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you definitely have a personal relationship mm-hmm. that has uh, built the gas that you just spilleth over.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've made some meals for him and mm-hmm. his crew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. She invites me over a house. We've been in a lot of meetings together. I try to show up when you ask me, and you always show up when I ask you. So mm-hmm.
0: I think that's that's the that's the yeah, foundation. I, so, so for me, I mean, one, uh, I think Barbara, like in the big picture, has— made my connection to the black liberation tradition tangible. Right. Like it's one thing to get passed down a book or to know a documentary or like to revamp a slogan. But she has physically and literally connected me to people. And I met Angela Davis through her. Uh oh, wow. You know, so I she's inspired liber- yeah. th- your motion. Yeah, but also has taught and and yeah. facilitated. So I, I you know I kind of get to sit beside her at the table and see how she she works and flows. And she's also, I, I feel like this bothers you, but you also have like a, a matronly maternal presence. Yep, oh,
1: y- y- the, the, the look <laughs> of panic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, maternal's okay, matronly. <laughs> What's the difference? What, little, what, 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 well, I think, don't you think a matronly is kind of like prudish and uptight? And mm-hmm. maternal is just like your ma, okay yeah, yeah that's so what ma- I mean
0: matriarchal matriarch maternal maternal let's just maternal is what I mean yeah, let's leave it, so
2: there. I mean that's an interesting area of discussion, right yes. this <laughs> whole question I mean, there was an article recently about um black women being referred to as auntie yeah. Did you see that in mm, the no, times? I didn't. Yeah, uh, Ava DuVernay, who is much younger than I am, by the way, uh, was saying people were calling her auntie. You know, young people she was encountering, and she doesn't like it. But people call Maxine um, mm-hmm. uh, Waters it? auntie. I don't like that either. I have a dear, dear sister, young sister in New York who's from Trinidad. And, like, you know, she calls all her mother's friends her mother's age auntie. So mm-hmm. she calls me auntie. And I, I could not bring myself to tell her that I didn't like it I, Finally, I did very recently. I hope she's not listening. <laughs> what don't but, you like about it? Because yeah. I'm not auntie. You know, I think ageism works both ways. Mm-hmm. And so I always joke and say, you know, in, in Black Lives Matter movement and movement for black lives and other spaces, I try to be a well-behaved elder, which is to <laughs> say I'm not saying, you know, I'm old. I know everything. Right. But to be reciprocal about that, I also don't want to be typecast or either exalted or marginalized because I'm 62 and you're whatever age you are. I mean, there's different levels of experience there uh, clearly, mm-hmm. but we also want the things that you all know that I don't know, like what gassing up is, you know, <laughs> other, yeah. other things. So I just think it, it has a potential of also, uh, kind of putting us in a box as older, mm-hmm. um, activists working with younger people to have those kind of designations.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, when, when working with younger organizers, what are some of those expectations that they might be putting on you that actually aren't about you, the person that are about you, this box?
2: Yeah, I mean that I should have, you know, I should have like some wisdom to drop it, you know. Sometimes, <laughs> and I there's some groups that I've worked with where literally I would get called when there was a problem, like mm-hmm. not in the normal day to day kind of set, mm-hmm. preventing problems. Mm-hmm. Come maybe. fix it for us. But yeah, you know, kind of like you know roll in and give your wisdom and kind of roll out. So I think that's one box mm-hmm. I've ex- I've experienced. Um, and the other is to is assumptions that I buy into a certain kind of old school way of doing things and um, you know,
0: whatever. So so I think those are you know, those are Do some you, I don't remember what conference it was you went to. But you remember how appalled it, me and Eve were talking to you, how appalled you were, and how excited people got at the song back that ass up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's not a oh, I, well. now, now, now he is saying I am, no, I no, am no, no, matronly. No, no. it actually
0: it actually like it was a valid point and critique and I and I really enjoyed Because it is such a, like, norm for us, like, kind of hearing it discussed from, like, this is so contradictory to all of the things that you guys say about you.
2: Well, I mean, that is—I mean, I think, for example, like, sometimes lyrics in popular music I object to. But I want to make it absolutely clear I'm not objecting from a kind of prudish, oh, don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. It's so, you know, difficult— no, I, I, you know, it's great to talk about sex. It's great to have sex. The human body is wonderful and all that. That's different than misogyny, patriarchy, and sexism that objectifies mm-hmm. people. That is homophobic and heterosexist and all that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff gets piled in there, and people are jumping and bouncing to it. And so let's let's have some fun party music that is also conscious music that doesn't reinforce and reinscribe very oppressive gender roles mm-hmm. for folks.
1: Yeah, w- one thing. That That we always try to do up here is like put things in context and trace the lineages. And I just have to believe, even if we don't know what it was that like at every era, there have been people making music that was catchy and misogynistic. Like that just seems like a through line. Mm -hmm. Are there your point is how do people (laughs) what what were the ways of wrestling with that? I'm and this isn't something I'm expecting you to have an answer to. Like, what should we know in facing that music now that could be useful. I don't. I don't know. This is not a. I'm not yeah. going to have an answer. But.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not brand new. It takes different forms and different periods. Right. And but, but I think now, particularly like the hyper commercialization of of popular music in general, including right. black music, is another hurdle for us. Right. That I think before black artists had, or some black artists had, the kind of platform that they have now, making the kind of money that they're making now. There were more openings and people could get an audience um, who had kind of done their own right. mixtape or whatever. And I think, you know, a lot of the artists that people are so enamored with are commodities. You know, yes. I mean, what did Jay-Z say? I'm I'm not I'm not a businessman. Uh, I'm a business, business
1: man. man. Yes. like yeah. if that's um, not corporations being people, I don't know what it yeah. is. You know? yeah. yeah,
2: so I think just we have to be mindful of that and not get lost in the sound, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let, let's zoom out a little bit. Dave and I were talking a little bit before you got here about, you know, beyond this role, all some of the the many roles that you've served and the many people you've been in relationship with. And, and what we were talking about specifically was for us becoming politicized in the moment where we became politicized, There, w- there was kind of this assumption, even if it wasn't really true, of this blind spot between... I don't I know you would explain this better than I do but he, you wanna, you want to you want to jump into you it you know
0: I, I think there's like a a clear like understanding of like you know from great depression to like 1972 like resistance right okay and then we get like Reagan era crack and then and then you know the 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 bush Clinton Bush trio and and for me I think also with the consolidation of media the like presentation of radical resistance uh the, the presentation of black liberation was silenced in a way that like when i look back at a romanticized 60s i'm seeing people from the panthers on the tonight show or whatever mm-hmm. the cover of newsweek is stokely saying something wild and that just felt so erased and so evaporated i had to like mm-hmm. reclaim and refine it uh but then as i got into the work and started to meet you i, I i'm seeing people that had to be around uh but there <laughs> but there seems to be a void. In my, like, historical imagination Mm -hmm. of what, like, the 80s, 90s, early 2000s looked like Mm -hmm. in terms of resistance. And it felt like in the 2012, 2014, we're, like, restarting or having to, like, find a new, uh, what felt more prevalent 50, Mm -hmm. 60 years ago Mm -hmm. up until about, like, the 80s. -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know... um Struggle, black struggle, anti-racist struggle, you know, there's there's ebbs and flows. And uh, sometimes, you know, there are masses of people in the street and sometimes people are struggling in other ways. So really, if we define the black freedom movement in the most capacious terms, right, then there's always something going on. There's every decade. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you know, from the mid 70s on, I think there were a number of things that happened. One was there was a kind of institutionalization of certain radical forces, which Hmm. I don't think was a good thing. Um, One of those institutions, however, is the one that I got sucked into is the academy. So a lot of black radical intellectuals went into the academy. A lot of uh, uh, radical organizers went into the left wing of the Democratic Party, which – Essentially dissolved, mm-hmm. no longer. Well, well, we have a small left wing now mm-hmm. with with the uh, justice Democrats emerging, and then the third went into the nonprofit industry, which people refer to as nonprofit industrial complex. So the various radical forces coming out of the late '60s and early '70s get absorbed and institutionalized and contained mm-hmm. in certain ways. So that's that's one narrative. But what happened also, I think, is the residuals of the independence movements of the 1960s hmm. and the resurgent movement. South Africa, which Mm -hmm. galvanized Mm -hmm. our attention, um, as well as the Palestinian struggle. So I got very involved in the anti-apartheid Free South Africa movement, a very strong supporter of the African National Congress um, as a student organizer and, you know, went to the region and uh, really found enormous lessons and inspiration in that struggle. And it was a mass movement all over the world to support, (laughs) you know, in solidarity with with South Africa and linked to struggles in the various countries where solidarity movements. So in the U.S., black student organizers, for example, insisted that, you know, we're talking about racism here, apartheid there, resisting that kind of contrasting narrative of, oh, it's so bad over there. We got to help them. They, you know, they Mm -hmm. they need to have the democracy we have. Mm -hmm. It was like cutting through that lie um, and trying to build solidarity, you know, based on comparable struggles. You know, there's many other things. You know, there's the Black Radical Congress, I think you know about, uh, from 1998, which was a process that took two years that brought together uh, different sectors of the Black Freedom Movement, the, the Black Radical thinkers, artists, organizers. And it was a pretty broad spectrum, which was both his strength and his weakness. Can
0: can you place yourself in the BRC? Because you were one of the founders. If yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so what was that? What inspired that? What provoked you making
2: Well, I'll tell you. So we talked about three radical uh, strains in a a tradition. One was black feminism, which often had been left out. Uh, The other was revolutionary black nationalism, and the other was um, socialists and communists, black socialists and communists. And many of those kind of overlap. They weren't mutually exclusive. So I was doing a lot of work around black feminist politics. Um, The Million Man March happened in 95. Mm -hmm. We felt that it really embraced Patriarchy and capitalism, uh, hmm. two things I think we should abolish. Mm-hmm. And so this was a black left response in some ways for many of us to the Million Man March to hmm. say there has to be if you know black people are hungry for something, it can't be more black people get rich and, and have private wealth and, and black men, you know, kind of quote unquote resume their rightful place as head of mm-hmm. organizations and families, which was part of the rhetoric. So it was a partly a response to that and trying to enter into a void and also trying to create a principal basis for unity for people coming from very different places in the political spectrum of black
1: radicalism. Yeah. It's interesting. So in, in Sorry, comparison- I'm talking too much. No, right. no you're not. You're being interviewed. You, know? <laughs> you said it was a conversation. It is. I it mean, is. In, in looking at those three strands that you just described, I mean, obviously they're within those lineages still today. Does it feel more disparate or does it feel like they overlap more than they did in 1997?
2: Mm-hmm. I think uh, – so there's a group called Left Roots, um, which uh, Toussaint Lossier, who used to do organizing here and other people, and Tanya Lee and others are part of, which has argued that we really need to think of 21st century socialism. So I think we need to think of 21st century socialism. We need to think of 21st century black radicalism, 21st century black feminism because – I'm a historian by training, mm. so time is important. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we talk about those different uh, political ideologies as if they're fixed and static and they're not. So um, there were great failures, and this is, gonna, this is part of the 2020 political discourse since Bernie Sanders, you know, talking about his framework of democratic socialism. Similarly, nationalism evolved into all kinds of things we didn't imagine on the continent and elsewhere, And I think there was a certain aspect of feminism that gave way to a kind of bourgeois feminism that Hmm. was dominated by white women who wanted to be the bank president or the you know the president, the president. Or whatever <laughs> you know the the, the the female counterpart to the mm-hmm. male power broker yeah and that's not my that's not my feminism yeah. so i think there's a, both a contestation and a learning of lesson or an application of lessons in all those different traditions so yeah. so overlapped in the sense of they're being rethought in creative ways and so that's that's also hopeful
3: yeah, I just want to slow the conversation pull it back for myself as down. a person that isn't an activist. Um, so I, I am a learner. I like history a lot. And so I look back at history and I see the similarities between what happened then and what's happening now. And that's how I kind of try to inform myself about where we're going. And it seems like we're kind of repeating history over and over again. So there are a couple of things that I just wanted to get some clarity around. So you said you think that patriarchy and capitalism should be abolished. Can't disagree with that.
0: But, <laughs> I was, waiting uh, I was for the
1: hot so take. curious where you were <laughs> going that.
3: That's what I'm here for, the hot takes. Um, so I see now that the ways that... Uh, the patriarchy is starting to try to be torn down and there's still obviously some problematic things within that movement but as far as capitalism this is where i get like how how would that happen like is there a tangible kind of path to the abolishment of of capitalism
2: She's a plant,
1: right? <laughs> you said you said pull it back. Yeah.
0: That's the slowdown? Dive How do we in. abolish capitalism? Yeah. yeah, like, wow. I, I think, love it. I think a
2: lot about this very question. So um, my assessment is that capitalism is in a fundamental crisis right now, mm. unlike previous cyclical crises. There are dozens of books from... Leftists as well as capitalists themselves, Robert Reich has a book, Capitalism, How to Save It, mm-hmm. that acknowledge that in some ways capitalism's unraveling. So one way that it's unraveling is it is an infinite growth model of an economy on a finite planet. Mm-hmm. And you can mm-hmm. only ignore the finite nature of the planet so long. And so it's coming up against the hard reality that, you know, it's polluting all the water, it's polluting all the air, it's destroying the energy sources, and that's just not sustainable. But, you know, but the only thing capitalism does, its logic is to grow, grow, grow. Mm. Growth is the only measure of success. So that's crazy. So I think that that (laughs) – so that internal contradiction – so forget about, you know, social change, revolution, socialists and everything. It's internal weaknesses are coming out like never before. I think also Mm. I'm going back and forth with some economists that dig deeper into this than I do. But financialization of capital seems to me another destabilizing factor, right? So – all these hedge fund, I mean bankers used to be pretty marginal to the economy. They used to be kind of the handmaidens of the of the, the corporate mm-hmm. elites who mm-hmm. make stuff or who exploit people right. who make stuff. Right, right. <laughs> but it used um, to be GE and Sears. Yeah, and you know, General Motors and uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these. And the banks just were they, you know, kind of helped them do cash flow. But there has arisen this class of financiers, hedge fund people. They basically bet on the future. Uh they Have kind of create kind of smoke and mirrors profit, uh, which is not based on um, consumption or uh, really not directly based on the exploitation of labor, which is the old way we calculate. How capitalism works. So that's another destabilizing. So it's like a Ponzi scheme. And I think it's mm-hmm. going to unravel. And the other is robotization. And one of the I forget the Asian American guy who's running for president. Andrew Yang. Yeah, yeah. You know, he talks about this mm-hmm. and he you know, but many people have written books about this robotization. Which is another way of saying technology displacing human labor. Mm-hmm. Right. So my dad worked in the auto industry in Detroit. There's robots making those cars now to the degree that the factories are still open. Mm-hmm. But robots don't buy cars. <laughs> They're not consumers. So that so, how do the car producers then cash in on... The cars they're producing when human labor would normally be the wage earner that would use those wages to buy the commodity. So all these kind of built-in contradictions of capitalism, sorry, long-winded answer. This is great. This is perfect. <laughs> so those things, I think, I think we have to first like look at that to ask how will we change capitalism? Because it's not just to demand capitalism's unfair. Change it. I think right. it is increasingly unsustainable. Um, and it's unsustainable and incompatible with you know, kind with of bourgeois, earth. well, with the earth, but also with bourgeois democracy because right. people are going to demand rights and resources, right? And so, if the capitalists have to constantly hoard more of that to mm-hmm. survive and they have to constantly do things that are jeopardizing people's lives, that is, a, you can't let people make decisions then because people are going to vote against the interests of, of the capitalists. And, I, you know, and of course, you know, everybody talks about enormous wealth disparity. That is just growing, and it's just increasingly obscene. Right. Mm-hmm. You know the fact that there are people who have net worth that is greater than the GDP of certain small countries as <laughs> yeah. just obscene. And it, what it means, I mean, one more thing. This is, I mean,
0: you're like, no, we're mm, in no, it. No, no, don't no, invite no, her back. No no, 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 I've got to find. Anyway. are actually absolutely going to. Invite anyway, back. but but here's the thing. <laughs> we think what you don't
1: about. know is this is what we've been doing, but less eloquently for the last three years. <laughs> so thank you for making it clear.
2: But here's the thing to think about too, in that. There are the obscenity of kind of just excess wealth. You can just buy so many boats and diamonds and da-da-da-da. But it's really beyond that. You know, Bill Gates or, you know, one of these billionaires, they decide, you know, what diseases will get research funded, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, if they have a kid that has diabetes, all of a sudden there are a million studies that can be done on diabetes, which will affect millions of people. If their kid gets a rare disease and they decide, well, this is the disease I want to fund and find a cure for, they can do that. Mm -hmm. You get invited as a commencement speaker and you decide there's no more student debt among the 2019 Morehouse graduating (laughs) class. I mean, it's an arbitrary individual decision that has large-scale vast – consequences for people. One person shouldn't, and and a handful of people shouldn't have that kind of power. And that's what excess wealth is. It's not just indulgence. It's power to decide Mm -hmm. life and death.
3: Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you think about the 2020 presidential uh, hopefuls? (laughs) Namely,
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's good, that's good Mm -hmm. reaction.
3: Uh, Namely, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, who talk a lot about excess wealth and what to do with that money. I would personally love for Elizabeth Warren to go ahead and be elected, so I can get this student debt wiped out. Yeah, um, but Bernie's on that too.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the one percent, the one percent. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on my Bernie impression. I'll have That's it ready good. by 2020. He better get nominated. <laughs> we, just we, like got, we got, we got,
2: we got to talk about the one percent. We got to talk. The one percent.
1: It's excellent.
2: It's killing us.
1: That's very good. The hands
3: were perfect
2: yeah. too. Well, sorry, it's no television. For me.
3: Uh, so, what do you think about that? Because it seems like though. From what I understand from your explanation, it seems like they are working to kind of work on that destabilization of capitalism. Do you think it will work? Do you think they have good ideas? Or will the 1% intercede and make sure that
2: doesn't happen? Up to us. We are the many; they are the few. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I am excited about a lot of things that both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren say. You know, in terms of critiquing the excesses of capitalism, they are slightly different. Um, and Elizabeth Warren, when asked, is she a socialist? And I, I just can't believe you know socialism is in the parlance right. of you know uh, politi- mainstream political pundits now. Mm-hmm. You know, to say yeah. so. Um, but she says you know she wants to reform capitalism, and there are a whole number of people. Uh, liberal economists who say, you know, we want to make capitalism more humane, more benevolent, so forth and so on. Again, I think its own fundamental contradictions there. But I also think, and I say this humbly, as somebody when I was 17, I thought I knew Exact You know, I'm not being ageist. Some yeah, 17s no, may know this, but I thought <laughs> You're I being knew this knowledgeable. and
0: didn't. You're youist. <laughs> you know, I was like,
2: you know, I know what we need to change things. The revolution is coming. It's going to all change. And I thought it was going to change. But, like, by now, it would totally
1: be different. What was your 17-year-old answer to what we needed? Oh, I thought we needed um, a complete
2: revolutionary change. And I had kind of had the idea it would be an event. Like, you know, people would march in the streets and – you know, mm-hmm. some good old the, Russian the, revolution, the, <laughs> the storming the Bastille or something. <laughs> but anyway, so I think a lot of Warren's um, ideas and Bernie Sanders' ideas are very hopeful. They are radical ideas. I mean, Bernie founded a group called Our Revolution. I think there are some things that worry me about both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bernie has moved on the question of race. I think he doesn't fully get the articulation of white supremacy and capitalism. Um, and, you know, Elizabeth Warren was a Republican uh, for the first 40-some years of her life. So, or, you know, from her adulthood until she was in her mid-40s. Hmm. So I kind of wonder what that flip was about. Yeah,
3: she—I heard her on The Breakfast Club, actually. Oh, which I feel like her answers were just catered toward her audience. Like, we're not that stupid. You're a presidential hopeful. You're saying mm. what people want to hear, right? Um, but she said she— Her parents were Republican, and she really wasn't into politics, and she didn't realize, you know, how deep it was. Yeah, it was a long time after she
1: left her parents' house. Yeah,
3: (laughs) and so when you say forty years, I'm like, wait a minute.
1: I would Mm. love to see what the dynamic was before they went on the air at the breakfast. Just they're just like sitting there waiting to press record. Mm -hmm. Just a funny, just like uh. I'm so over over all of them.
2: What's the history of the breakfast? I only knew about it when Mark Lamont Hill went on. Uh, Yeah. What's the? I mean. They've been on the air for, like,
3: nine years. Yeah, They have a big following. They
0: were were one of the first, if not the first, like, black media publications to, like, master YouTube. So So
1: they were the morning show on the, like, second highest rated black music station in in New York City. So Hot 97 was first. They had a morning show. And in competition with that, Power 105 built The Breakfast Club. Just as, like, a morning syndicated show, they started Mm -hmm. recording it. It went nationally syndicated, and then what they started doing—that like what Damon was mm-hmm. saying—was doing these not live on the radio, but set up in the studio like a radio show, kind of like this
0: long-form
1: interviews with uh, everyone
0: basically. Uh-huh. And it like kind of uh, broke some of the mold. There's like the Charlemagne figure, who's really like complicated because he's uh, not as smart as he thinks he is, but not as dumb as he <laughs> pretends to be. That's uh, so true. <laughs> and so he he. Broke a lot of the conventions of like what a normal boring interview is because for so long, like you know, record labels determine what you can talk about, uh-huh. and you know, he made this one rapper, like Lil Mama, cry about like not being the, popular. The rapper is Lil Mama. Her name was Lil. Mm-hmm. She made this song Lip Gloss is popping a very long time ago. Well, other than So she was kind of a <laughs> she was kind of like a has been at the time, and so he was like not being gentle with her in a way oh. that like a radio host would, and that was kind of like one of the first moments. And then other viral things, they were like at the early age of video viral. And now they've become the space. Okay, for like, Elizabeth like, Warren's trying to get booked. <laughs>
1: you know, yeah, yeah, they've had like I
3: every um, Democratic candidate on the show. Yeah.
0: I, I want to tap into your imagination a little bit, okay? Uh, because I, I heard you talk about like your seventeen-year-old imagination mm. of you know the our liberated future is mm-hmm. a, an event-style revolution <laughs> of storming the halls of power and like taking that shit. And when we talk often, because we're in organizing spaces. I feel like our discourse is limited by, like, what our capacity is. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to hear more, like, beyond what you can make happen, what you think our liberated future should look like. Is revolution still the language that you use? And if so, how has that changed for you? Mm -hmm. So
2: revolution is kind of talked about as a process. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, part of through my work on Ella Baker, you know, Ella Baker said, you know, the revolution is eternal. Mm -hmm. And that both resonated and is disappointing because, you know, you (laughs) want to decide, like, when when are we there? When are we there? Mm -hmm. Um, But this idea that it's a process. And I think that's the lesson of a lot of failed revolutions of the 20th century is that people seized power who thought they would run things better and they screwed it up. And they realized that um, they had the agreement of people... Of the masses in terms of what they were against, but they didn't Mm -hmm. have the agreement of the masses in in terms of what they were for. And so when they then Mm -hmm. began to try to put new institutions, new laws, new rules into place, everybody wasn't on board. So then you have repression and you have uh, the mechanisms of the state actually forcing people to do stuff they don't want to do and to comply with rules that they don't agree with. So I do think of revolution and transformation as a process um, rather than an event, definitely, and that there's many layers to it, right? And part of it is, you know, the cultural work is so important, which maybe is why I get impatient when I see, like, totally vacuous commercial. Like, all that talent could go into helping us tap into, you know, ideals of freedom, um, ideals of of collective action, et cetera, that we have suppressed. But anyway, you know, I think of a world where – People can love who they want to love. People have the basic needs that they need. Everybody is um, has time to create because I think we all have artists within us that um, the nine to fives don't allow us to tap into, and that mm. part of doing that puts us in touch with a different part of ourselves and each other. That brings out other things. You know, I was talking. I told you I was talking to Eve Ewing earlier today, and we were talking about reparations and what people want. And I said, well, you know, we also have to pause and think of what desires have been curated in us. Mm-hmm. If you just ask a regular person on the street, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Well, more money. <laughs> yeah, and, or more things. Right. You know, the menu of options that have been put in front of us or the ways in which some, some ways our, our desires have been manufactured and manipulated, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we could close our eyes and imagine, like, what would be the most exciting way to be in the world, Um, It probably wouldn't be having 10 pairs of gym shoes and everybody having a a car, but it might mean um, curating a set of relationships so you're more comfortable in public spaces. Some people want to be in their car because they're afraid of other people or whatever. Somebody will take one of the 12 pairs of gym shoes they have or whatever. So I just think it's a very layered process of of getting in touch with our humanity in a different way and refashioning how we relate to each other You know, in a more – Um, loving, egalitarian way. Mm -hmm. That is more than a notion, though. I'm very much a materialist in a lot of ways.
0: Define that for people.
2: (laughs) Um, You know, that I try to base my understanding of the world on what you can see, feel, taste, touch, right? And so... That's not to say there's not an imagination that, that envisions something that I have not seen mm-hmm, yet, mm-hmm. but I try to ground my understanding of where we are with mm-hmm. what I can experience and measure in a sense. Mm-hmm. But so there's a place for materialism and then there's a place for imagining, right? And every you know revolutionary is somebody that looks at the world and imagines it as it can be, not the way that it is or was. Mm-hmm. But I think circumstances will force us to go in one direction or another as a world, but how we go... Is really important and the the uneven way in which we may go and this is also the lesson of revolutions of the 20th century one country tries to go down a different path and all the other predatory imperialist countries lob on and punish them Mm -hmm. and so either they suffer you know or they get you know fall back in line Mm -hmm. so the whole world is not gonna change at the same pace at the same moment in the same way And so what happens to those in the forefront of that kind of change? You know, what price will they pay communities, countries, et cetera? Um, And how do we in some way placate that? And I think solidarity movements are key. When the United States attempts to invade or um, embargo or punish those countries like, say, Cuba, for example, Mm -hmm. that have tried to plow a different path, then it's our job in this country to protect the autonomy and self-determination of people trying to find a different way to live and be in the world. And Mm. we've done that with varying degrees of success.
1: Yeah. To that point, are there historical moments or events that you think have been particularly impactful or just reveal certain lessons or truths that we don't talk about enough, that are still living in the memory of some that haven't been made into the history that we should all be learning? Mm -hmm. Well, even, I mean, this is, you
2: talked about the early 2000s too. So into the early 21st century, I think a yeah. big big lesson was in the Arab Spring, the so-called Arab Spring. Uh, so in Egypt, for example, dear friend and comrade, colleague, uh, was a lawyer, human rights lawyer in Egypt and very close to that, that struggle. You know, people went into Tahrir Square and there was this spectacle of people demanding democracy, demanding an ouster of, you know, a, a strong man, uh, right. a, a dictator. And they won that, right? Uh, Mubarak was was ousted. Uh, but there was nothing to fill the void. They didn't have a consensus about who comes next, what comes next, who steps into the power. So into that vacuum comes the Muslim Brotherhood initially, right. and then they're ousted, and then there's the the military. military. Mm-hmm. And now many of those beautiful articulate, passionate young people are either in exile or in jail. Mm -hmm. So it's a lesson about scenario planning in terms (laughs) of social change, right? Being prepared to govern if you're prepared to win Mm -hmm. Um, and really thinking two, three steps ahead when you enter into a situation where you think some kind of transformative change is possible. It's the same, you know, right here with thinking of Trump. I mean, he is antithetical to everything I believe. And I mean, just on, on so <laughs> on many levels. I mean, just a mean-spirited, dishonest, egomaniacal, ignorant, you know, proudly ignorant mm-hmm. individual. But I also think the way Trump is ousted is is important. And I, you know, he's not gonna be around forever. But um <laughs> I have come on board with the idea of impeachment, but initially I was like, okay, so okay, fine. I'm all for him being out of office, but what comes next? Mm -hmm. So is next Pence, who Mm -hmm. might be even more methodical and, Mm -hmm. you know, who couldn't have necessarily gotten elected, but is that going to solidify his base in certain kinds of right. ways yeah. and make him, you know, be able to be a martyr cuz he's not really governing. It's yeah. just a it's, it's a a train wreck. Right. So, is he the demagogue that feels that he's ousted and then has an even bigger podium yeah. Right, yeah. for all these disgruntled he wants racists? Nothing
1: better than to be an underdog. Like that's he thrives his base responds to like they're coming for me cuz that's what that's the imagined mm-hmm. fear that they fear is that yeah. there's someone coming for them. Yeah. And, and and 2020 will be interesting, too, because he's also
2: alluded to the fact that he might not leave office, you know. So anyway, so I you asked – I'm drifting off yeah, of yeah, your no, question. You? But I think those are – you know, that the lesson of, of the Arab Spring is an important one. The lesson of South Africa is another one, you know, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Um, I think we had perhaps unrealistic hopes and expectations for South Africa. It was um, a country on the African continent, you know, last country to – to really oust the colonial regime. It had mineral wealth. South Africa has gold and diamonds. It has a developed working class, like black workers who shut shit down, you know. It is a large land mass. Um, You know, so all the reasons that, you know, Jamaica had a hard time under Michael Manley doing a kind of socialist experiment, Mm -hmm. but South Africa the objective situation of south africa promised so much more mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so even if the world tried to punish them they got a lot of resources mm-hmm. and and they're you know however what's happened is you know in some ways there's been political change without economic change mm-hmm. a lot of one is there've been new black elites that mm-hmm. have emerged and some of the old white elites still have a lot of land and power but everybody can vote <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um you know there's a there's a kind of gradual change but many of us hope that it would be a much more fundamental change, much quicker. Hmm. So I think, what are the lessons there? Um, I think always be mindful of what an end game is, and uh, be mindful of the forces that are capable of that. I mean, in some ways, I'm not been in an armed struggle. I've not been in a revolution. I'm not a South African, so I am very careful about prescribing what. Right. Folks should have or could have done right, and I have friends who had comrades who were killed in that struggle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, dear dear friends of ours who were in exile for many many years with great pain, but it 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 feels like it feels like the ANC underplayed what it could have accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That there was a lot of strength and momentum in the world and inside South Africa to redo the economy in ways that would have improved the living conditions of so many people, and it's still. A, enormous poverty in South Africa.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That feels similar, obviously on a much smaller trajectory to like the hope all pun intended around the Obama administration mm. of the idea of he kind of used this excuse of he was like helpless to address structural change and like there's nothing he could do and like discounted, I think, the base and the support and the popularity that, that he came into office with and I think conveniently used that to like submit to capital and to power and, mm-hmm. and, and some, well, you know, how he, frustrated are you about? Oh, I, I get like super duper Obama frustrated. Steam out the ears, and, really? And yeah, I, f- I feel like you probably have. You're you're more okay with it. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, well, I don't know about okay with it. Um, I don't know what makes steam come out of my ears anymore, but um, <laughs> you know. I think you're right. I think in the context of being president, there's more he could have done. Mm -hmm. It had to be done right away. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a supermajority. He had a moment. He Mm -hmm. could have pushed through a lot of things. I think he wanted people to love him. I think he wanted to win over the Republicans. I think he wanted to show people, hey, I'm not a scary black guy. I can Mm -hmm. be a regular old president like all the other white guys. So likable. I'm likable. He benefited from that a lot through his career, and I think he was counting on it in that context, and that was definitely a misstep. That said, I mean, his ambition was not to transform capitalism. Uh, His goal was not to dismantle empire. So, you know, it's like if you you hire somebody to do a pretty heinous job or to run a pretty unprincipled enterprise, Mm -hmm. like they either work their way out of a job or they do it. With a little less egregious violations than the next guy, <laughs> but they're still basically holding together something that is fundamentally problematic.
1: Hmm. To to use a like less poignant. Analogy, you like you don't go to the hardware store for oranges. It's like that's not. He didn't say he was going to do that, so you can't be mad at. Yeah, him.
0: I didn't think of it that way, yeah. but yeah, I think part of my frustration is that I can politicized politicize mm-hmm. under. So if I had a political basis, I probably wouldn't have been as hopeful. I, the the like
1: you're like we're going to have oranges yeah. at the
0: hardware store. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be great. And so yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like, cause I've heard that from people older than me a couple times. Not even like generationally like 30 year olds be like oh yeah i knew he wasn't gonna do nothing when when i was 16 and like
2: well it also exposes we won it 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 does represent a change though in terms of and i write about this in the book on black lives matter you know um it it represents a change in terms of representational politics so for a long time people were like you know we 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 don't have we haven't had a black president Mm -hmm. we haven't had a black bank president. We haven't had a black college, pre- we haven't mm-hmm. had a black this or black that, as if having a black body in that space was going to guarantee something right. if the space itself was still the same or the institution. A, a black the overseer. Same. Yeah. So what can you, you know, I mean, my grandmother, for example, who died, you know, a couple decades ago, you know, would never have imagined, you know, she grew up in the Jim Crow South. She's like, oh, you're ne- we're never going to see a black man in the White House. Mm-hmm. Right. So once we saw that, it then kind of raises well, what is it that's holding the system together, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that so so the cosmetic changes kind of lose their fascination and Mm -hmm. lose their appeal, and we have to dig deeper and say what really does have to change is not just faces.
3: Yeah, I think uh, something that I struggle with when it comes to, like, politics and activism is that uh, the various movements that have taken place throughout history seem to me to be a cycle of asking and giving the system a chance to readjust and continue to oppress just in a different way. So we get, you know, at what we ask for on one front and then we find the 98 crime bill, you know, and it's doing something different. Um, so and like now we're doing this legalization of marijuana. So we're getting these convicts uh, released for um, nonviolent drug offenses. But then what's going to happen to the white majority that's entering the marijuana market in these cities that where black people do not thrive. You know, Chicago, I am I am not, I can't say I'm really looking forward to the legalization of marijuana in Illinois just because of that sheer fact that it's going to drive more and more black people out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess my question is too, I want to see more radical black folks in political power, but it seems th- as though that is not a belief that activists hold, like they can't, you know, dismantled the house from the inside. So what would you have them do? Like, what would be the end game? Because we didn't have an end game for Barack Obama. We didn't really give him any
2: demand. He just didn't follow the game plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, we all knew, you know, what we wanted him to do. And we spent a lot of time, again, asking for something that we felt like we shouldn't, one, have to ask for at this point. Um, And then it wasn't delivered. So how will revolution happen? If what we have, like I like that you use the term materialist, I am now <laughs> declaring myself a materialist, you know winning them over do you see how you do? <laughs> <laughs> because we have this uh system of democracy in place right now, and if we're not willing to take up arms and and to um engage in armed struggle and try to overthrow what is now in place, then what what would we do to get there
2: Mhm um well, you know yeah. we armed struggle is another. Discussion for another <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: time and place. For off the mic. Please.
3: Another podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, there are armed struggles, you know, going on in the world. And and um, even warfare, I mean, it, it, in the 20th century, I mean, thinking of warfare today with, with nuclear warfare and warfare from a distance. I mean, it, it just, right. just boggles the mind, the ways in which violence, mass violence manifests without even people being... On a battlefield, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. But I think, you know, the thing you raise is the question, like, what are the pivot points? What are the mechanisms by which power shifts? Mm -hmm. Pivot! Pivot. Um, I think there's an internal process and an external process. There's a process of people without power demanding the power seed to the demands. Uh, and there's there's people who have power who don't always agree. I mean, sometimes we talk about billionaires or we talk about people in in government. Well, there's all contradictions between them. And one thing that's happening now in the electoral arena, the two-party system is, is I think, at a very fragile moment, right? So mm-hmm. the, the, the GOP is internally dealing with a lot of contradictions despite the fact that they're all smiling and back-slapping of Trump you know there there is a lot of animus there and there's some mm. so we'll see what happens um after 2020 And in the Democratic Party, I mean, I said before, you know, in the 70s that there wasn't really a left wing of the Democratic Party. I think there is a left, a small left wing of the Democratic Party now with the Justice Democrats, with Ayanna Pressley, AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib, and um, Ilhan, my girl, (laughs) Ilhan Omar, who I love. She's doing it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they are, you know, they are not falling in line and following the rules. So Ella Baker talked about an outsider within strategy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I work for university, and there there are certain rules that I have to go by, right, if I want to keep my job. On the other hand, there's things that I push against from the inside, you know, of ranking my students in a certain methodical way without considering the bigger picture, putting course material uh, into a syllabus that might not otherwise be there, um, demanding inclusion of people who've been historically excluded from university. So there's ways like inside institutional spaces, we can push toward a more radically inclusive or um, democratic space. Now, mm-hmm. that alone is not enough. Mm-hmm. I think we have to work inside, outside, and against. And outside means also creating alternatives, right. mm-hmm. which is what I was talking about before, like if there's a void. So it's not just about tearing down what's bad. Mm-hmm. It's about, yeah, well, what would new social relations look like? What would not a new educational system look like? What would a new economy look like? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, my economist friends say, you know, you say yeah just make it fairer. Well what does that look like? Mm-hmm. I mean how do you how do you deal with trade and distribution and currency and all the complicated levers of an economic system in a fair way? You got to kind of un- understand how it's working in order to mm-hmm. you know transform it. So I think there's kind of renegotiating, recalibrating power on all these different levels and in all these different arenas and uh you know it's like a fine-tuned Machine mm-hmm. and it's not and it doesn't it's not an event
0: right yeah you 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 twice mentioned Ella Baker I did and I think for many people if not her name you certainly introduced her legacy to the world and to movement with your book uh, what year did uh, Freedom Movement come out two thousand three believe. two thousand three oh, and so you you've had to now in these last sixteen years talk a lot about Ella but you also evoke her I'm curious because. A lot of people who don't even know I know you talk about how that piece changed their understanding of movement and how they need to participate, right? Like that what she taught us is if we are demanding and want to realize democracy externally, we have to internally have democratic organization and how we function and certainly challenging the role of patriarchy in movement spaces. Um, And I, from what I've learned about Ella from you and from what you've taught the world about Ella... See you as like at least in Chicago as like our Ella Baker. oh my God, and I know that's something that you're gonna like be overwhelmed by and be shy and kind of push off, but just personally, <laughs> the eyebrows went through the roof there. I know Normal. you I know I know you're not for it, uh but just personally, um in how you try to function in the world now in terms of addressing and continuing movement, how do you see your role in parallel or in relation to that legacy? Well, you know, thank you for saying that
2: um. I see a lot of Ella Bakers, actually, because if there's only one person that evokes Ella Baker, we're in trouble. <laughs> I, I see a lot of Ella Bakers. I see older Ella Bakers. I see younger Ella Bakers. You know, when, when in organizations young people step back from that individual ego-driven power and say – you know, make space for somebody else, which you do in spaces um, all the time. You know, I see a little bit of Ella Baker, you know, when people recenter marginalized forces and say, wait a minute, we're talking about prison abolition, but there's no formally incarcerated person in the room. Let's, let's change that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I see a little bit of Ella Baker coming to the fore. And when people try to do what we used to call in Ella's daughter political quilting, connecting mm-hmm. disparate movements, mm-hmm. which the movement for black lives is trying to do, the majority is trying to do, the R Three Coalition in Chicago is trying to do, Let Us Breathe collective is trying to do in his in its space, you know, stitching together those patches of resistance to create a quilt right and and to and to let us also be ourselves at the same time. When I see that, I see I see Ella Baker. So you know, I think she is very present. I think there's always challenges and contradictions to to live your life fully in what you believe, because mm-hmm. the world is working against us on overtime. But I see a lot of a lot of her, and it's interesting, you know, because she lived very modestly. She didn't write a big tome. And part of my book was to also say, when we think about theory, and we think about intellectuals. It's not just people that write books. It's mm-hmm. people who live and, and, and they live theory in the way they carry themselves and practice in the world. Mm. So she was consistent in who she allied with and what she fought on, how she fought. I mean, you just look at decade after decade. There's a theory. There's a worldview there mm-hmm. you know, that we can learn from. So, so figuring out how to learn from people like her who aren't writing books about what we should learn from them um,
1: is, <laughs> is an important challenge. How do you think about that consistency that you just described of like at each step of the way, like whether it's stated externally or not, like I know who I am, I know what I value, I know how I want this world to be moving toward. And then, of course, there are moments where those are in contradiction or just it doesn't work out that way. How have you come to terms or or how do you balance those contradictions for Mm -hmm. even beyond the external work just for you? How do you carry those? Mm -hmm. Because it's something I think we all struggle with. We all do. I mean, I think, yeah, to try to be honest with ourselves and to
2: put yourself in community with people who will keep you honest. Because, yeah. you know,
1: you, you sit
2: with yourself long enough, you can talk yourself into it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I think I need that. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't see anybody stopping me. You know, it seems like I should do that. So I think keeping yourself in community with people who will keep you honest to what you believe is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, a heck of a, a lot of humility that, you know, no matter what great things we think we've done, we haven't done enough. And we probably haven't done as much as somebody else, right? And we've also made mistakes. So you know, to to be in touch with our humanity and to be humble about what we're able to do, at the same time, we try to do as much as we can.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, it's the best you can do.
1: Yeah, we we got to get at it. Are of you here.
0: familiar with Wu Tang, the the group? The group, yes. The, if,
1: the political if, theory.
0: So <laughs> I with Daniel and I think a few other like folks and I like. R3 and R3-adjacent world have had this ongoing joke that I have not told you yet. Okay. Big oh, trees. I hope it. I get it. Kathy's head on it, I think. Um, They're going to be dying at home. If know, <laughs> so, even if land so I kind of say like our little sphere is kind of like a Wu-Tang of like radical progressive social justice here in the city. <laughs> uh, and you are hands down the RZA. Do you know who the RZA is? It's kind of messed up. He messes up the metaphor because he's like become whack. <laughs> After but like he and he, he was the, the, the mastermind, right? Oh. Like he designed it, the like <laughs> concepts of like connecting to, to Asian martial arts, the okay. logo, and he was the producer of all the tracks, oh, right? Okay. So it's all these ten rappers, but there was one producer. But
2: he went off
1: he, he went off track. He kinda But he has I wouldn't say that he's like Know, not, he's not at the he's not at the White House right now. He's yeah, just yeah. like not as great. Okay. It's not completely not, ir- it's that, not completely you know, irredeemable. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end the analogy yeah. of like nineteen ninety nine. 99 Yeah yeah. Nineties
0: okay. RZA. Okay. Uh, but right. but he brings people together. Right. Like they can't get an album done uh-huh. unless RZA makes the call. All and right. if RZA makes the call, an album gets done. All right. And so you like I'm bring us album. to the table, and you. <laughs> <laughs> chef us up. They, uh, okay. they they do a lot of martial arts sound effects, and we yeah. don't have some. I'm gonna effects. put some in in post. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. All, right. All, right. all
0: right. We got to get you I'll out of here that. because we we value your time. So we're gonna all check out.
2: Well, thank you. Quick. This has been fun. I didn't know quite what to expect when yeah. I came, but it's been it was, lovely
0: it was quick well, Neither
1: Eve. did we. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither
0: did we. And we really. we really we want to make this happen again. We've okay. had a couple follow up conversations. I think you would would certainly be somebody we we would definitely want to continue. So that. let's do okay. one more checkouts. One, one word. word, not an adjective, something on your mind. What do you
1: feel? I right always now?
0: cheat. I'm not gonna do one word. <laughs>
2: Angst.
3: Mm. Mm. Can you say more, go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. Uh <laughs> <laughs> honestly, yeah. armpits at this point. Mm. <laughs> it is warbader. Yeah, it's <laughs> I've been you know just <laughs>
0: offensive all day. So. <laughs> what, what about you? Um, toe dip. Mm, mm-hmm, hmm. mm-hmm. hmm I was gonna say like gratitude and appetizer. Mm. This feels okay. like this feels like an entry into a appetizer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <grap-itizer. A> <laughs> got out well, of my, my
0: angst didn't have to do with y'all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, so We've been known work, to elicit angst. Yeah. I'm all more <laughs> work that needs to be done. Thank you so much for coming through and chopping up with us. How can uh, folks find you and your work in the ways you would like to be found? Oh, um,
2: yeah, I'm at, at Barbara Ransby on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter every other day or every day, uh, so that's probably the best way. Okay, I'm on Facebook, too. And then I have a website. Actually, I
0: forget about it. It's barbaransby.com. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's <laughs> nice. There's a lot of info on there. Is
2: there? Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. Regular I love how,
0: how many people don't know what's on their website. <laughs> 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 I don't a lot of people feel that same way about their own website. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we got to go check what's yeah. on Ergo Radio. I'm at Ergo Kiss.
0: Damon underscore F. I'm at Tribs the
1: Cool. And we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and creative.
0: Much love to the people. Peace. Hey,
1: Dame.
0: What's up, Kiss? I want
1: you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey,
0: Miriam. Nice to meet you.
1: Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you?
0: I am. Oh, well,
1: that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcasts? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? <sighs> it isn't the best well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man,
0: it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the App Store where you get all the other things that
1: yeah you going to well, check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look
0: how effective this ad is. <sighs> yeah. Hey, wait, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? <laughs> Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling We're things. doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast.
1: We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it.